0: Hi, it's Mark Raven here. If you like my podcast, you might be interested in my books. Uh, my first book, Lean Hospitals. My second book, Healthcare Kaizen, co-authored with Joe Schwartz. Practicing Lean, an anthology of stories from a number of authors. And my most recent book, Measures of Success. To learn more and to buy through Amazon, you can uh, support this podcast by going to leanblog.org slash Amazon. Hi, this is Mark Rabin. I'm really honored that the 32nd Annual Shingo Conference has invited me to teach a half-day workshop on topics from my most recent book, Measures of Success, React Less, Lead Better, Improve More. The conference is April 16th and 17th in Orlando. My workshop will be Friday morning the 17th. If you'd like to learn more, you can go to leanblog.org slash Shingo 2020. Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, this is Mark Graben, and this is episode 55 of the Lean Blog Podcast for December 16th, 2008. Our guest today is old friend of the podcast, Norman Bodak, and wanted to alert you as a listener to a special charity auction that. We are running through December 19th to support the Josie King Foundation, a group that supports advancements in patient safety in hospitals and healthcare. Um, the winner of the auction receives a specially autographed CD set of Norman's previous Lean Blog podcast, as well as a personally autographed book of your choice from Norman's PCS Press collection. Um, so, this again is running through December 19th. You can either go to eBay and search for Norman Bodeck, or you can go to Lean Blog. Dot org. Look for links to the auction at the top of any page and hope you'll participate uh, for a really unique opportunity for autographed items from Norman and to support a really good cause, the Josie King Foundation. You can read more about them at josieking.org. So, as always, thanks for listening. Norman, it's great to have you back with us once again on the Lean Blog podcast. Thanks for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me, Mark. It's always a pleasure. It's always a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, and so today we're going to talk about Ireland and some of your um, journeys and observations from there. So I was wondering if you could tell us what, what you've been doing and seeing.
1: Yeah, thank you. I want to talk about a trip to Ireland I took just a week ago. And then I want to, if we have time, I'd like to talk to you a little bit about this terminal, this video terminal and the concept behind it how it allows training to exist anywhere in the world.
0: Yeah.
1: And then I want to reiterate and talk a little bit more about this mistake board. I think I mentioned it last time.
0: From a previous episode,
1: yes. Yeah, but I'm, how powerful that is. So, let's start off with Ireland. Uh, I was invited there by Tony Corrigan. Tony um, used to be a partner of mine when I owned uh, Productivity Europe and I had a partnership with him in, in Ireland. He's uh, an amazing man, and he has taken taken um, concepts that we call lean and put it together as a very clear methodology, step-by-step, step, how to move a company towards world-class status over a two-year, two-to-four-year period. A lot of consultants go in that I know of and they run a Kaizen Blitz, you know, and then once they come established, then they do Visual Factory and they do a lot of different things with you. And many of them do wonderful things. I've never seen anyone do what Tony does outside of Japan in establishing a very clear plan for two to four years for these companies. And then what he does is he gets a group of companies. Twelve companies make a commitment who work with him. Now, most fortunate for Tony is that one-third of his fee uh, comes from the Plastics Industry Association in Ireland. One-third comes from the European Economic Council, and one-third has to be paid by the company. Well, so the company gets really a top consultant for just one-third the normal fee. Now, the company makes a commitment to go along and to work with Tony, and to work in a group of 12 companies. So Tony gets all of the, when I say 12 companies, he will he will gather maybe two to three people from each company, and he will make them facilitators or trainers or leaders of the lean effort within the company. So he says there's two to three within these 12 companies. And these people will meet Maybe approximately once a month, once every other month as a group within one of their facilities to review what they've done. And this is really great because by bringing them together, he's creating a sense of competition. And we like competition, most of us, you know. And when we can go into each other's plants and see what the other has done from the same training, from the same teacher, which is Tony. It's -hmm. inspiring. It reminds me about General Electric. Many years ago did this. They bought from Rockwell 18 plants, 18 automotive plants, maybe 20 years ago. And I worked with uh, one of GE's consultants, and he was really excellent. And what he did is he got the plant manager from each of these 18 plants, and he put them into a team to teach them lean. Now, this goes back about 1983, maybe. Really, way right at the beginning of our awareness of what lean was. Um, these plant managers would, would meet once a month. And each month, General Electric would teach them the fundamental concept of lean. Quick changeover, as an example, was one of the hot issues back then. Mm-hmm. And they'd spend the morning... Um, learning the concept, and then in the afternoon, all 18 plant managers would walk, would walk this particular plant, not just to observe. They were asked to be consultants, to be really critical of what they've seen so that they could leave a marvelous report to the plant manager of what they should consider to improve in this plant. They so had 18 eyes, Yeah, the plant manager of this plant and 17 other eyes to be critical to look and to leave you something that you could work on. Well, just imagine that you're a plant manager and this is your month, right? You know in 30 days it's going to be your month. You go crazy in your plant (laughs) to make sure that you're doing everything possible before your peers come in. It's such a powerful, simple concept, and I don't know why other companies are not using it. Well, Tony has adapted this and taken a group of people and tried to put this kind of pressure on them to move their lean efforts forward because it's not easy to move lean efforts forward. You read books, you go to conferences, you get teachers that you know what to do, but most managers, most people, but specifically most managers have such tremendous resistance to change. There's so much fear In the manufacturing community, if I make a mistake, I'm going to lose my job. That's in everybody's mind, and it's nuts. It's why the Japanese were so intelligent to have lifetime employment. It was such an excellent economic scheme. If you give people lifetime employment, and literally they don't get fired, unless they're just the worst possible thing imaginable, they don't get fired, right? So they don't live with this fear of change. And they're so much more willing to break through their resistance to do something new in the plant that is good. So Tony gives the plant, each of these plants, a roadmap of what they're going to do. And then he's created, wow, he has created some of the most marvelous lean tools that I've seen anywhere in the world. I mean, Japan might have it, but I don't know, because I don't read Japanese. So I can see these charts and graphs up on the wall when I go through Toyota's plants. But, I mean, I ask as much as I can, what is this and what is that? But it's always very limited, because they don't give me that much time in the plant to discover everything that goes up on the walls. Tony has maybe 30 or 40 different kind of chart structures, measurement structures to measure all of the lean activities, and I'll tell you about some of them. Well, I went to Ireland with uh, David Veach. David Veach is the director of ILS, the Institute for Lean Systems. I consider him and his group really one of the top consulting groups in the country. Mm -hmm. They're excellent. They're in the United States, and they're also in Australia now. Uh, We went over to speak, at a conference run by Tony Corrigan's group. We had about 200 people in the audience, and it was a lot of fun for us um, to speak with them. And then Tony had me visit uh, two manufacturing companies. One of the companies was Bose. I'd like to talk to you about that. Mm-hmm. And the other one, I can't remember exactly their name, begins with an Anna, A. and A lot of them in, in the medical device manufacturing arena. Mm-hmm. Well, at the first company we went to, just one thing very curious is that when they took us into the plant, number one, they asked us to put on earplugs, and then I had to get into a white gown with a hat, and a complete gown, because it was a clean room. Mm-hmm. I always think it's very funny in the medical area, and they make these clean rooms, and, and the machines are filled with grease and dust. <laughs> <laughs> but they want to make sure you, human being, are clean. That was very funny. And I saw a couple of things which might be interesting to our audience. Is um, let's take the earplugs. I went to Canon Camera, and I'm going there and Canon Corporation. And I'm going there again in November. Mm-hmm. Some of you might like to join me on that trip, um, because to me, Canon is really the state of the art. If you're interested, how to leapfrog Toyota cannon was a noiseless plant, virtually noiseless. When you walked into the plant, you didn't have to wear earplugs because what they did is they examined the sound that was coming from every machine, every drill, and they devised a way to virtually reduce the sound coming out. It was amazing how quiet it was. It was a very large plant. In fact, the funny thing is, Mark, The only noise that I heard was a Toyota (laughs) forklift. So So this is interesting. I go to this plant in Ireland, and and I have to put on earplugs. Instead of them refocusing their attention, how do they eliminate the noise? And then the employees don't have to wear earplugs all during the day. This is true of most manufacturing companies, if they just make a subtle shift. The other thing is I walk through the plant, and it's very nice. And I was watching a worker, and as soon as I looked at him, I knew he was very bright. And I just had that ability to look at someone's face, and it just pops out. And he was turning a wheel. Uh, this particular company extruded a plastic uh, hoses. You know, these little tiny, what do you call them, pipes, hoses that goes into the human body.
0: Um, like. For, for
1: catheters and yes, lines, for so catheters that. right yeah. that's what they specialize in is making these little, little kinds of hoses and things that go in the human body so this particular operation they were extruding a little plastic hose um, and this particular worker was standing there and holding on to the hoses as it was coming out of the machine and wheeling it around this large drum to Capture it. Well, it was very funny and very obvious to me why they didn't automate this particular operation. Mm-hmm. Why they didn't just put a little motor on it so that the worker, who obviously was very bright, didn't have to stand there all day. Now, what they did, of course, is that every half an hour he rotated, but still, I think that was such a waste. You know, it's so simple. The whole concept that comes from Ono and Shingo is so powerful and so simple because you just focus on the waste. And one of the prime wastes is motion. And very few people really look at motion, Mm -hmm. sort of like the neglected waste. Um, Anyway, let's go back a little bit of the history with Ireland. And I remember about 30 years ago, even 40 years ago, American companies started to go over to Ireland. And they went to Ireland for two reasons. One, Ireland was the low-cost labor market. That means they had the lowest labor cost in Europe. Mm -hmm. And then, I don't know the exact date, but the prime minister or the president was very, very clever in inviting uh, foreign companies, especially American companies, to come in and set up manufacturing facilities in that they would be be tax-free, all they wanted the company to come over and to take advantage of the Irish labor, to give them jobs. Well, American companies, European companies swarmed into Ireland. I mean, I don't know how many thousands of plants were set up by the medical industry, especially, but also the electronic industry. Right. Because so many companies went over there, there, there started to become competition for labor, this competition for labor, the labor rate has climbed and skyrocketed. I think it's $15 an hour, something like that. Uh, which is equal to or higher than most of the rest of the countries in Europe. Maybe not Scandinavia or Switzerland, but surely France, England, Spain, etc. So the labor cost has ridden, risen. That's challenging because right. the American companies went over to save money on labor. Now they can go to China for 50 cents or 60 well, cents an hour. And,
0: and now wages are going up in parts
1: of China. Oh, but very little.
0: Yeah.
1: It, it's going up, Mark. It is going up with managers. It's growing, going with the leaders, but the people in China still make so very little. It's pitiful, the conditions for them at work, et cetera. What's frightening, when well, I was there, somebody told me that HP is going to close their facilities and lay off about 24,000 people and send it maybe to Poland or Romania or something like that so they can
0: save a little yeah, bit and of money. And this is shutting down in Ireland?
1: Here in Ireland. Mm-hmm. To me, that's unconscionable. I mean, the CEOs take $5, $10 million a year or more in compensation, and they have no sense of balance no sense of commitment to people that, that work for them and work so hard for them. One of the great things about Toyota and other Japanese companies is when they come into a foreign environment, they make a commitment. They make a long-term commitment. They invest, you know, they give money to the universities. They give monies to the cities. They, they encourage every worker to participate in their community. They support the community projects. They're a member of the community, you know, they look at this as an extension of the Toyota family and you don't desert your family. And American companies just have no morality. None. It's unconscionable what, what American leaders are doing just to make, just to make the buck. I mean, they've drained the, you know, they've drained America. How many million jobs have left here without any consideration, you know, what the long-term R- r- what the long-term results will be for the American society. Well, anyway, I went to Bose, and I remember seeing Bose in Massachusetts many years ago, mm-hmm. and I really liked what I saw. In fact, what what I remember back then, it's 20 years ago, is, is in the value chain, in the supply chain, um, instead of having Bose with a purchasing manager... And their supplier, who also has an account manager, Bose moved in the supplier and gave an office in their plant. And that supplier became responsible for all of the purchases. So they eliminated the duplication of a purchasing agent and account manager. Oh. That was very clever. Um, well, Bose in Ireland was making a radio and speakers, one of their small radio sets and speakers. And this has been Tony's client for the last year. I'll tell you some of the things I saw, which was so outstanding. When I walked into the plant, when I walked into the office area where you walk in before the plant, all of the wall space was hung hung communication, hmm. you know, instruments. And I, you know, I've been teaching my specialty. In fact, what I'm attempting to do, Mark, is to become the best in the world teaching what I call quick and easy Kaizen, or the respect for people side of the Mm. system. How do you develop and train people to their fullest capability? And so I'm always anxious to see what companies are doing along that arena. And I saw some pictures hung up on the walls in the hallway, and they had pictures of ideas before and after the, the problem that the worker identified. They took a picture of, and then they took a picture of how it looked after the worker had a chance to implement their idea. Mm-hmm. But what was outstanding with this particular sheet, which I've never seen before, is on every sheet, every idea was a picture of the worker. Now that's simple, but it's brilliant. Mm. Yeah, yeah, just simple but brilliant to give the person the sense of pride and and really thanking the worker you know what you're doing to really help make the improvements in the plan yeah. the next thing I saw which was outstanding is I'll give you an example when you read a newspaper uh, the first thing you normally look at is the headline and then underneath the headline there's an opening paragraph and so you read that look at the headline if you're interested in this subject you read more you read the opening paragraph if you like that you read more Well, on this quick and easy kaizen, the worker or the supervisor, somebody, wrote a heading to entice you to look closer Mm -hmm. at the idea from the worker. That is small, but, Mark, believe me, that's brilliant. Because what we're asking workers is to identify problems in their work area. Right. And then to come up with solutions. And then third, we're asking them to implement them. So 90% of what they come up with, they should be able to implement, not putting a burden on the system the way we did in America in the past where the worker came up with an idea for somebody else to implement. <laughs> right. That just became a burden and reduced the number of ideas coming from workers because the, the, the uh, supervisor just couldn't be bothered. Yeah, to follow up. Um, then, of course, they had their A threes up on the wall. They had all kinds of wonderful measures to communicate to anybody that worked in the improvement process of the plant. This is wonderful because you're making managers making a commitment. This is what I'm about. This is what I'm trying to do in this plant. And they're willing to share it with anybody that comes in—a visitor, supplier, their boss, etc. It's really beautiful when you look at it. Then we walked into the plant. Plant manager was taking me around. We walked into the plant, and the first thing I noticed, and I've never really seen this before, this is a manufacturing facility. They, they don't do much bending. Um, they don't do that much bending or stamping of uh, metal. Mostly a uh, assembly facility, assembling the final product. They do have a wood shop where they cut, bend, and etch out the speaker system. Mm-hmm. So that was isolated, so no dust came from that area. In fact, in that room, it's probably the best I've ever seen in my life, they had these ducts, so when the saws was cutting, immediately all the dust went into the duct work. Oh, clever. So yeah. virtually none went into the factory. I've never seen it that well thought out. If you looked at the plant, it was a totally visual, visible plant. I mean, markings on the floor and every shelf was large signs telling you you know, what was there, what to pick, etc. But the first thing I noticed is the floor itself was so highly polished, so clean. Most people think of factories as being dirty. Why? Why? because we haven't taken the attention to recognize that human beings are working there. We want to have the best, the safest, the most cleanest environment possible for human beings, for people. And so if you have a sparkling clean floor, then you have to keep it sparkling clean. Right. That was excellent. Then they took me over to a cell that they set up. They used to manufacture with a conveyor belt, and they're converting the conveyor belts into cells very nice looking cell they had six people working in the cell, and a seventh was a team leader. They were assembling the radio, excellent workers working very fast and I'll, I'll tell you what I told the plant manager when I looked at that cell because see, I went to Canon a few months ago, and Canon made me much smarter i get I get smart just by other people teaching me mm-hmm.
0: this way <laughs> yeah
1: and um I noticed the way this particular cell worked is that a worker worked on a part. It was pretty well-timed. And when they finished it, either they passed it to the next worker or the other worker came and pick, picked up the radio to install their parts in it. So the way this worked is everyone had very limited um, work to do. And then it was passed to the next person who then did a number of short steps and passed it around the line mm-hmm. until the radio was completed. The problem with this kind of an operation, of course, is there, there is always delay. Somebody is always a little bit faster than the other person, and they have to wait. In the cannon system, when one person makes the whole copier, or with the bows doing it, one worker could make the whole radio then you're minimizing the waste mm-hmm. time because mm-hmm. all the parts are around them in the cell and that's the way Canon can maximize productivity even beyond right. the, the conveyor system or, or, or the yeah because it's funny you know, if you go back over 100 years to the 1800s the carpenter right. as an example was a craftsperson yep. and they had to do everything had to cut the tree, or you know, they had to do the polishing. They had to do the shining. They had to do the cutting, the gluing, etc. They had to know everything. They had to be. They would go through a series of. Uh, yes, yeah, so they were a young boy, maybe ninth, tenth grade age, and they would be taken over by a master, and they would be that student for many years. They become a journeyman, and then they then they become a master themselves, and they could literally do anything in their craft. Right. And then Taylor comes along and Ford comes mm-hmm. along and de-skills everything
0: right.
1: and has people do very simple things. Now, it worked very well because Americans were primarily immigrants in the beginning of the 1900s, and they needed a job. They didn't speak English. They were very happy to have that kind of work so they can just live.
0: Yeah.
1: But we're no longer, you know, in that age. And we it's no longer necessary to limit the skills of people. And to make it repetitive, and Canon has shown us that by maximizing people's skills, you can maximize productivity. To me, as I mentioned last time, they're far beyond Toyota in this concept. And I recommended it to the plant manager in Bose, and he immediately said, well, the problem I have is that we only have a number of test equipment, Mm. right? And so the way it's lined up in the cell, when the radio is finished and it's tested, and I said, well, you should consider, you you know, try and let everybody, because they all knew, they all rotate every hour or so, so they all knew how to build the whole radio. And I would say, why don't you test it and let them build the whole radio and then see how you can time the use of the test equipment so there wouldn't be any delay. Mm. Yeah. You know. Well, the worst thing is the test equipment could have one person and the rest of the radio can be done by separate people to enrich reach their job.
0: yeah so how'd that work
1: well I mean I'm just saying I suggested that if he'll he'll go ahead and do that to take the next step the other thing I primarily told him is that he has to run scared
0: what do you mean by running scared
1: all of the managers have to run scared they're not they have to be frightened that the company is going to close this down and go somewhere else unless they show drastic improvements in productivity
0: well, it sounds like that's not an unfounded fear with what you talk about companies shutting down and moving, yeah, but
1: cheaper. because you, yeah, but there's a reason for this they limit people's ability right? right, and by limiting the people's ability and they're only doing one or two things, then the company says, we do we do you know we can go somewhere else and get and get very cheap labor to do one or two things. We can train them very quickly to do one or two things right right? right? And so it doesn't cost that much to move who we'll save a lot of money. But if you have a factory with really high-skilled people, really high-skilled people, uh, knowing how to produce high-quality products, because it's very difficult to get these high-quality products with de-skilled labor, because people are not asked to think. I'm giving the example of Canon producing a copier with high-skilled super people and producing it at the lowest possible cost of the highest quality.
0: Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcastgmail.com. At Hi, it's Mark Raven here. If you like my podcast, you might be interested in my books. Uh, My first book, Lean Hospitals. My second book, Healthcare Kaizen, co-authored with Joe Schwartz. Practicing Lean, an anthology of stories from a number of authors. And my most recent book, Measures of Success. To learn more and to buy through Amazon, you can uh, support this podcast by going to leanblog.org slash Amazon. Hi, this is Mark Raven. I'm really honored that the 32nd Annual Shingo Conference has invited me to teach a half-day workshop on topics from my most recent book, Measures of Success, React Less, Lead Better, Improve More. The conference is April 16th and 17th in Orlando. My workshop will be Friday morning the 17th. If you'd like to learn more, you can go to leanblog.org slash Shingo 2020.